Okay, we're going to begin here on the top of Tzadizayin Amaral, but the two dots. Just to review what we left off with yesterday, the Gemara says there, Someone who improperly suspects, someone who is kasher, that is totally fine, and is going to do or carry out whatever we suggest, but this person suspects that they won't, then he's punished by having something happen to his body. The example the Gemara brought was last week's Parsha, where Moshe says that Bnei Shol will not believe him when he appears in Mitzrayim, and Hashem says, yes, they will believe you, and he was punished because his hand is stuck into his chest, and it comes out, and it's Mitzorat Kashelag, it has Mitzorat on his hand. So that was the Gemara's proof. One thing to note here, what does it mean to be choshed b'kshirim? To be choshed, to be suspicious sometimes is a proper thing. But has to be careful. A person has to not just trust everybody. On the Mishnah in Avot, where it says, Now everybody has to always judge people favorably. Over there, the Rabbeinu Yomna explains that that's not for everybody. That there are different categories of individuals. When we say have done it to Adam, the Kafshut breaks it down into three categories of individuals. He says someone who is a Rasha, someone who is known to be problematic or suspected to be problematic over there. There's no problem of have done at Adam the Kafshut. There you can be done him the Kafchova because that's the type of behavior that he's engendered. That's the type of person that he is, and therefore you're under no obligation to assume that he's doing right when he's known to do wrong. Or there's a lot of suspicion about him doing wrong. The other side is a tzaddik, someone who always does good, or most likely does good. Over there, not only do you have an obligation to be down the kafshut, you must be down the kafshut. And you have to figure out a way to answer whatever behavior that he has. You have to figure out a way to come up with an excuse or a reason why he did that. And even if you can't come up with that, you have to assume he did shuvah right away. The time that we say, have done it called the kafshut, is the benoni. The individual is in the middle. And that's where the Gemara demands that you do it, the Kafskut, is that you give people the benefit of the doubt. So over here, we have a Choshed B'Kshirim, again, is the assumption being that these are people who are otherwise trustworthy or seemingly trustworthy, and one should not be suspicious of these individuals under the same category of the Havidan at Goladam the Kafskut, that you have to give the benefit of the doubt to those individuals. Now, the Gemara continues with that story with Moshe Rabbeinu where he pulls his hand out and has tzarat on it. And it says by the two dots, That good things happen much faster than bad things. When it comes to bad things, by Moshe Rabbeinu it says, That when he pulls his hand out of his chest and he looks at it, he sees that it's full of tzarat. So there, until he removes it from his chest, it does not have the tzarat on it. On the other hand, when it's being removed, once he takes it out on the second time that he's placed it in there, when he takes it out, it's already healed. It's already cured. And that's what the Gemara says here, already before he's removed it from the chest, that it's already cured from the tzarat. So there we see the midat tova comes, Faster than the Midah Ra'ah. Then the Gemara just ends off with the, one more Pasuk from that series, which is in this week's parasha, When they come to demonstrate before Paro, the Otot, it says there that the Matei, the staff of Aaron, ate up the staffs of the Tartumim. So Amar Abelazar, Neis Betoch Neis. It was a miracle inside of a miracle. Number one is the snake or the serpent went back to being a staff. And then after it returned to being a staff, it ate up the other staffs that were there from the Khartoumim. So that's a miracle within a miracle. So now we're back to our Mishnah. Mishnah says that, Mirshut Yachid, Rishut Yachid, and Rishut Rabim Ba'emtza. 
So we spoke about this when we read the Mishnah, but what's the scenario in the Mishnah? By is it below 10 Tvachim Plige? Ubaha Plige? And this is what they argue about. One believes, that is, Rabbi Akiva believes, an object in motion is considered to have discrete movements, and therefore it's as if you lift it up and put down the object all along the way. They believe that when an object is in motion, you look at the continuum, you don't look at it as discrete motions. If you're above 10 Tvachim, Divriyakol, Patur. Everybody agrees you're Patur, because it's a Makom Patur. And we don't learn throwing from passing. Remember that Moshit was what they did in the Mishkan. That's what the Levim did. They passed from the Agalah to the Agalah. And that was above 10 Tfachim. On the other hand, the Zrika was not done because the boards were too heavy. The question is, can you extrapolate from passing to throwing? And here we say, according to everyone, you're Patur. And we don't learn Zorik Mimoshit. Oduma, the other possibility of explaining the Machrokah in the Mishnah is, from Alami Asara, Kivan the Chachamim argue about throwing above ten Tfachim. And this is what they argue about. Marsavar Yafin and Zorek Mimoshit. Marsavar Lo Yafin and Zorek Mimoshit. Kiva believes that we learn out throwing from passing. And the Chachamim believe we don't learn throwing from passing. Below ten Tfachim, if you threw it there, Divrei Akol Chayav. Everybody would give you Chayav, even the Chachamim. My time, what's the reason? Because we look at something in motion as going through discrete points, not on a continuum. This question that was posed by Rabba was also posed to Rav Chista. And Rav Amnuna answered it from this. So it goes from Rishut Yachid to Rishut Yachid, and it passes through the Rishut Abim itself. Very similar to our Mishnah, except we have that word, Atzma. That it went through the Rishut Abim itself. That they're arguing below 10 Tvachim, because you can only be in the Rishut Rabim when you're below 10 Tvachim. Above 10 Tvachim is a Makom Tur. What are they arguing about? Ilema Bima Avir. So what are you going to suggest? This bright that we just quoted is talking about a situation in which someone is carrying the object below 10 Tvachim, implying that if you carried it above 10 Tvachim, you would not be Chayav. We just saw this back on Tzadibet, that the Bnei Kahat carried the Aron or the Mizbeach above 10 Tvachim. That is still considered to be problematic in terms of moving an object on Shabbat. So even if you carried above 10 Tvachim, everybody would agree you're Chayav. So that cannot be where the Machloket is, and it cannot imply that above that point is Patur. It must be that we're talking about throwing an object. Below 10 Tvachim is where they have this Chiyuv or this Machloket. Above 10 Tvachim, lo Mechayev. Nobody is Mechayev, meaning everybody agrees that you're Patur above 10 Tvachim. Shmamina, from that you can conclude, they're arguing in this principle of whether the object of motion is considered to be moving through discrete points, or it's a continuum, Shmamina. So there we conclude, we discussed this already, that in the Mishnah it does not sound like this, because the Mishnah brings the Machlok between Rebekiva and the Chachamim, and then afterwards says right away, Ketzad, what's the scenario? And then it gives us the scenario of the Leviim passing things, Above ten Tvachim. Makes it sound like Machlok between Rabbi Kiyu and the Chachamim is above ten Tvachim there. We noted that Tosafot says in the Yushalmi, person who thinks that the Machlok is below ten Tvachim has to eliminate the word Ketzad in the Mishnah in order for it to make sense. That is what we said in the Shita of Rab over here, that the conclusion is that they're arguing about Puto Kamish Un Chadamya. Now the Gemara says, 
on this conclusion, Upliga de Rabbelozer. This argues on Rabbi Lazar. Dama Rabbi Lazar, Mechayev haya Rabbi Kiva, afilu l'malam yud. Rabbi Kiva is not only Mechayev below yud, but even above yud. V'hadikani Rishut HaRabim Atzmah. So then why in the Brite does it say that it's in the Rishut HaRabim itself, meaning below ten Tvachim? If he argues above ten Tvachim, why did they make the case below ten Tvachim? Look, Tiyacha Kochan de Rabbanan. To show you the power of the Rabbanan, that they say you're still Patur, even below and it also argues on Here it's not clear when they say Pliga. Does Pliga mean that he argues both on Rabbi Lazar and the explanation of Rabbi Amnuna? Or is he just arguing on Rabbi Lazar? Within three Tvachim of the ground, everybody says you're Chayav. Above ten Tvachim, everybody agrees you're Patur. From between three and ten tefachim, banal machlokat Rabbi Kiva and Rabbanan. There you have the machlokat between Rabbi Kiva and Rabbanan. So again, above Yud, he says you're patur. So there he clearly argues on Rabbi Lazar, who just said above Yud, Rabbi Kiva says you are chayav. Question of whether he argues of Rabbi Amnuna as well. There the possibility is that Rabbi Amnuna said before that they argue below ten, but he does not distinguish between above three and below three. So you might be arguing on him as well, because here he says you have to be above three tefachim in order to have the machlokat below three. Everybody agrees that you are chayav. Tanya nami ochi. We have a bright that supports this understanding. Under three tfachim, when it's in motion, everybody thinks you're chayav. Malim yud, above ten tfachim. It's only in Isr de Rabbanan, patur of al-asur. And if they are his own rishuyot, mutar, then it's completely fine. Meaning that if he's moving it from one rishut yachid to a, another rishut yachid then that is completely okay. And the only problem is, or the more the machloket is, three until ten, that's where they have the machloket. Rabbi Kiva, mechayev, vechachamim, putrim. Rabbi Kiva says, yechayev, and the chamim say, you are patur. So that would support Rabbi Chilkiah's understanding of what the machloket is over here. All right, so the Gemara is going to discuss right now what the difference is with regards to Mitachat Shlosha. We did bump into this in the past with the Itzaba, with the threshold that is outside the house. It said there that if anything is under three Tfachim, it's considered to be Batel to the Rishuta Rabim. Until you move over three Tfachim, we consider it to be nullified to the Rishuta Rabim, and it's still classified as Rishuta Rabim. So only above three gets a din of Rishuta Rabim in terms of above three can lose the shame Rishuta Rabim. Anything below three is automatically assumed to be part of the Rishuta Rabim. Now, there are two principles at work here. One principle why it's considered the Rishut Rabim is because you can't assume that Rishut Rabim is flat. It's not going to be absolutely flat or plain, which the Gemara is going to say in one second. And therefore, there's some ups and downs. The ups and downs, what is considered to be normal in terms of the ups and downs or something that people would step over or move through, that's up to three Tfachim, whether it's a depression or something that's sticking up to Rishut Rabim, that's still considered to be part of the Rishut Rabim. The second is the principle that is found throughout Shas, which is called Lovud. Anything within three tfachim is considered as if it's closed, as if it is sealed up, and it's as if it's not there, the space that's there. So to over here, below three tfachim, when the object's moving, it's considered as if it's touching the ground. Because we're within three tfachim of the ground, it means as if you've closed the space between the ground and you, and it's as if you've landed already on the ground. For instance, if something's thrown, that once it reaches within three tfachim of the ground, it's already considered to be landed. When you place something down, by throwing, that may not be the case. By throwing, you might have to come, come to a stop. I might have to go stationary. But in terms of you place something down, once we're within three tefachim in the ground, it's batel to the ground. Or you lower your hand below three tefachim, it's as if it's on the ground. So those two principles are at work here with regards to the Rishut Rabim, why this three tefachim is significant over here. Amar Mar, imayu Rishut Shalo, mutar. There is Rishut, then it's mutar. Let us say this is a question, Rav. Ditmar, shnei batim, bishnei tzidei Rishut You have two houses. 
one on each side of the Rishut Rabim. Says you may not throw from your house on one side to the house on the other side. Shmuel says you're allowed to throw it. So now, Rav, what are you going to do with this? If they're both your Ishiot, the Brayta said that there is Mutar, throw it. Didn't we already establish that that Makloka was a case where one of the houses was high and one of the houses was low? Because it's not an easy throw across. Since the houses are not level on both sides of the Rishut Rabim, it's not just easy to throw it from one to the other. The assumption is that you probably will not make the throw. And since you won't make the throw, it's going to fall on the Rishut HaRabim. It falls on the Rishut HaRabim. You have to go out and get it, and you're going to bring it in. So that's what we're fearful of. Because that case where Rav and Shmuel argue is in a more unusual case, the Bright is talking about a simple case where the houses are level on both sides of the Rishut HaRabim that you can throw it from one to the other. Amr Rav Chistel or Rav Hamnuna. Amr Rav Hamnuna or Rav It's not clear who spoke to whom here. Minaha Milto Where do we know this din? That anywhere it's under three tvachim, it's considered as if it's closed. The space, as if it doesn't exist. This is what I said to you before. It's impossible for the shooter abim to be plain with a, a plane or a shears or a tweezer. I mean, we don't expect them to flatten it out and make it absolutely flat. So if it's not going to be absolutely flat, you got to assume that there are ups and downs in the Rishut Rabim. It's still considered Rishut Rabim. So if that's the case, then even three Tfachim itself. What do you mean below three? Even three itself should be part of the Rishut Rabim. That's number one. But two, what are you going to do with this Mishnah that we have in Sukkah? Which is, If you are pulling down a Mechitza from the top downward, the mechitzot don't reach within three tefachim of the ground, then the mechitza is not considered to be a wall of the sukkah. If you're within three tefachim in the ground, it's ksheira. So here you see we're applying the principle of lavod, and it has nothing to do with planing or saying that the Rishut Rabim should be flat. It has to do with straightforward mechitza. Wait a minute, the reason over there is that the mechitza has to be a proper wall. How do you know it's a proper wall? It's a question whether a goat can get under it or not, whether a kid could slip under it. If a kid can slip under it, it's not a mechitza, because that means that it's open, really, because the kids can slip under it, come in and out of there, and you don't have a proper mechitza. Below three tfachim, the assumption is that the kid could not slip underneath, and that's why it becomes a proper mechitza. So maybe it has nothing to do with lovut, it simply has to do with determination of whether this is a mechitza based on the ability of a kid to slip under or not. So when says, okay, tinach, lamato, that works well for that part of the Mishnah, but the Malo Ma'ikalameimar. We also have the same principle in the other direction, which is that if you're within three Tfachim of the Schach, the wall is considered to be connected to the Schach. It's as if it reached the Schach. So what are you going to say there? Ella, call Pachot Mishlosha Kalavodami Hilchota Gemirlo. Anything that's under three Tfachim is considered as if it's not there, as if it's sealed or touching. That is Halacha the Moshe Misinai. That is something that's passed down in the Misora. It's not something that we can learn either from the Mishnayot or from some logical argument. It's simply a din that we have through the Misora. And all these Mishnayot or these areas are applying it to these different halachot. But not that we learn it out or we have any logical argument for it. Now this is the opposite case. Our case in the Mishnah is a case where you're going from a private domain to a private domain with the public domain in the middle. Here you have the opposite. 
You're going from a Rishut Rabim to a Rishut Rabim, public domain, public domain, and there's a private domain in the middle, Rishut Rabim Emtza. Rebbe Michayev v'chachamim putrim. Rebbe says Yechayav, Mim putrim. Rabbi Shmuel Damrei Tavayo, Lo chiev Rebbe, Ela b'Rishut Yachid Mikure. The only time that we say this is true is when you have a roofed private domain. Damrinam Beta command Mal Yudam. We look as if the house is filled in. Al Sheinu Mikure Lo, but if the Rishut Yachid is not covered, then we do not say this. Now, what does it mean, command the Malidami? Rashi over here says, Because it's dark in there. When you have the roof over it, it's dark. And Malay Havla, the quality of the air is that it's heavy. It's not so easy to breathe in there. So therefore, it becomes as if the area is a solid block instead of being empty space. That's the way Rashi quotes it over here. We also had this back in the beginning of the Masechta on Tavheim and Aleph, where there Rashi gave a slightly different definition to the Malay Beta. Over there Rashi says, Davar satumi gotzad havik malay chafatzim agagot. It's as if it's filled with objects until it's roof. Deina viro chashiv avir. Because its space is not considered to be space. So now Rashi says over there that Tamanda Malay Dami means that it's satum. It's completely closed, which you'd have to see over here as well. That there's Shirta Yachid that's covered here, has a roof over it. Rashi says it's dark. Seems like there's walls around it as well. I mean, that's how it is, a Rishuta Yachid, is that it has walls around it. And it's not easily accessible. There's not a lot of windows there. So therefore it's dark. And the air quality is still and heavy. And it look at it as if it's filled up, literally filled up. And that's why it's considered, if you throw something through there, as if it stopped in the Rishuta Yachid on its way to the other Rishuta Rabim. So Amar Rav Chana, Amar Rav Yehuda, Amar Shmuel. Mikhayev haya Rebbe Shtaim. Rebbe says you're not only Chayev once, you're Chayev twice. Achad Mishum Hotzah, from the first Rishuta Rabim into the Rishuta Yachid. Achad Mishum Hachnazah. And the second one is Chayev for leaving the Rishuta Yachid and going into the Rishuta Rabim. Yati Rav Chana v'kakashale. Chana was sitting say, wait a minute. The Memra? That means that Rebbe believes you can be chayav for a toldah in the face of the av, the primary melacha. What's the primary melacha of this category? It's hotzah. Hotzah is the av. We said before in yesterday's daf that hachnasah is a toladah. That it's a derivative of the hotzah. We said it was a logical argument that it was a derivative, but it's a derivative. Don't we have a bright where Rebbe says, varim, hadvarim, eile hadvarim. We learned this again earlier in the Masechta. That from this pasuk, they darshan that there are 39 milachot on Shabbat. Remember, we had three sources so far in the Masechta for 39 milachot. One was the juxtaposition of Shabbat to the Mishkan. That was how we learned the 39 milachot. The other one was that the word milacha is used in the Torah 39 times. And the last one was this pasuk that we brought, which is, it says here, Eila. Eila is 36 in Gematria. Then it says, Hadvarim. Dvarim is plural, means two. So that gets you to 38. Ha, the hey gets you to 39 milachot. So Eila Dvarim, which is written in the Gabay Shabbat, is the source for the 39 Melachot, Shnemar Moshe Misinai. We're passed down from Moshe Misinai, because over here, again, you know 39 from this number, what you don't know over here is, which are the 39? You have to have some connection to the Mishkan, or some definition of what the 39 Melachot are. So either it's connected to the Mishkan, or you say that's the Mesorah. The Mesorah is that we have the 39 Melachot, and that these are given to us by Moshe Misinai. So Amalei Rav Yosef, Mar Ahamat Nidla. You learned that qualification of Amar Yehuda Mashmuel was on the statement of Rabbi, and therefore Vakashale, the Rebbe the Rebbe, and therefore you run into a problem of a stira within Rabbi. On the other hand, Ana Ad Rabbi Yehuda Matninan Falokashlan. We learned this on the statement of Rabbi Yehuda, and therefore we don't have a problem. The Tanya we have a brayta Mirshute Yachid the Rishute Rabim Vavar Arba Mot Rabim. An object that he moves from the Rishute Yachid to the Rishute Rabim, which is Hotzaa. 
But in addition to that, they moved four amot in the Rishut Rabim. Rabbi Yehuda Michayev, Vechamim Potrim. Rabbi Yehuda says Yerchayav, Vechamim say Yerpatur. I'm Rabbi Yehuda Marshmuel. On this, this is where we have the modification, which is Michayev Hayat. Rabbi Yehuda Shtayim. You said it on Rabbi before. When Rabbi said he's Chayav, he said Chayav Shtayim. We use this to modify the statement of Yehuda Mishmo to modify Rabbi Yehuda's position in this Brayta, not like you did about Rabbi. And over there we said Yerchayav Shtayim. Achat Mishumotza. One for going out from the Rishud Yechid to Rishud Rabim, Achad Mishum Havara, and one for going for Amot, for carrying for Amot in the Rishud Rabim itself. If you think that Rabbi Yehud over here believes you only have one, Michlal the Rabbana and Patri the Gamre. That means that the Rabbana think you're Patur completely. How could that be? Come and have to agree you at least took it out from the private domain into the public domain. He did something wrong. Rabbi says, Mimai. How do you know that's true? Dilma, Lola, Meimelacha, Rabbi Yudah, Chadahud, Michayev. Rabbi Yudah says you only Chayev once. But Rabbana and Pachay the Gamre. And Rabbana said you're Patur the Gamre. So what's the scenario? Go, Damar, Adan, Afkalei, the Rishut Rabim, Tanua. That as soon as it exits the Rishut Rabim, I wanted to come to rest. Rabbi Yehuda believes that when you're in motion, it's as if you settle in every discrete point along the way. And therefore, what he intended came true. He wanted to move it from the Rishut Yechid to the Rishut Rabim and have it land right as it exits into the Rishut Rabim. Well, it's in the air when it exits into the Rishut Rabim. So if you believe, then what he thought came true. Because at the moment it exited into the Rishut Rabim, that's a discrete point. And it's as if it's settled there, and that's why you're chayav according to Rabbi Yudah. Rabbanan sarei lo'amrin and kol tokem milshenuncha. The Rabbanan believe we don't say that. That means that when it finally lands and comes to rest, that's much further out. And then what you intended to happen did not happen, and that's why the chachamim say you're a patur over here. Avala toladav b'makomav lo mechayev Rabbi Yudah. Rabbi Yudah would not be mechayev atoladav in the face of the av, because if you think he's chayav shtayim, then you would say that atoladav is chayav b'makomav because the av is the Hotza'ah, taking it from Shut Yechid to Shut Rabim, and the Tolada would be Mavir Daladamot Bir Shuta Rabim. Since that would be a Tolada, if you say Rabbi Yehuda is Mechayev Shtayim, that means that he's Mechayev Tolada in the face of the Av. Where it says, you don't have to say that. You could say that Rabbi Yehuda believes you only Chayev one here. The Chayev think you're Potur, and the case is where he had intent for where he wanted to land, and according to one of them, the intent is carried out. According to the other, it's not carried out. And they're arguing. And the same thing that Rabbah has tried to suggest in the Chachamim, Rabbi Giva, is an object in motion, whether it's considered to be settled along the way, or only once it comes to a stop or a standstill, is it considered to be settled. The Gemara says, Lo, Salka Can't say that. Can't say that Rabbi does not believe that a Tolada is Chayab Makamav. The Daniel. We have a Brighter. Rabbi Mosif. Rabbi Yehuda adds on additional avot lachot that we saw earlier in the Mesechta back in Klal Gadol. Af hashovet v'amidakdik. So the two other lachot that he adds on are shovet and middakdik. Shovet is the closing of the web and middakdik is the evening out of the woof. Amrulo, they responded to him that shovet hariu b'chlam mesach. That shovet, the closing of the web, is the equivalent of mesach, which is laying out the loom and... And evening out of the wolf is part of the weaving. So just to understand this in more detail, when they laid out the loom, they used to stretch out the strings, which are called the warp, across the loom. Those strings were laid out and then tied around the two ends or bars of the loom. That was to create the base of the loom. Alternatingly, one string was up, one string was down. They used wooden bars and batenirim to lift them up and down. And then the woof or the shuttle was sent through that to create the weave. By having the strings go up and down, when you threw the shuttle through, it was the equivalent of weaving up and down through the loom. Now, 
In order to straighten out those strings that they strung across the loom or the warp, they used to use a parapar, which is a very sharply pointed instrument to help them to separate out the strings. They actually used to beat it first. They used to hit it down first, and that would separate the string. Then they used to finally take this sharp object and make sure that the strings were separated along the loom. After they had woven in the ariga, they used to take a stick and bang down the string to tighten the weave. So that's why here the Gemara says that the shovet, which is separating the strings that are put onto the loom, is part of mesach. Mesach is the setup of the loom with the strings of the warp. Ariga is then the placement of the string of the woof through those strings of the warp, and that is called weaving. So the shovet, according to the Chachamim, is an extension of placing the strings on the loom. Because what you're doing is you're evening out the strings. You bang them and you use a sharp instrument and you separate the strings out. And that's what Rashi says, Mechakar bekarkar. The medakdeik is you take a staff and you push down the strings that have been arug, that have been woven, and you bang them down. So that's why the Chachamim say these are subsets of the broader category of mesach, setting up the loom, and oreg of weaving. Whereas if Yehuda views them as separate avot melachot. I'll send you a picture so you can see a little bit about what I'm speaking about. Amrulo, they responded to him that Shuvait say that that's the equivalent of Mesach and Medakdeik, Arei Buklal And Medakdeik, the evening out of the roof, is part of Ariga, part of weaving. So, I mean, these are subcategories of Av Melachot that are already mentioned in the Mishnah. So they're not considered to be separate Melachot. So Rabbi Yudu believes that they are separate Avot Melachot, whereas the Chachamim believe that they're subsets of Melachot that already exist in the Mishnah. They're Toladot, exactly, according to the Chachamim. So my love, it sounds like you did both of them at the same time. And Rabbi Huda is Mechayev the Toladot in the face of the Av. And that's what their argument's about. They both agree that these are Toladot. They're just arguing about whether if you do both of them, the Toladot and the Av, whether you're going to have two or one. It says, Maybe you did each one independent. And Rabbi Huda would not say that at Tolada in the face of an Av And this is what they argue about. Rabbi Huda thinks that these additional items are Avot. That these are Toladot. It makes sense from the statement that he made, because in that statement it says, Rabbi Huda Mosif. He adds on. If you say that he's adding on additional avot, then my mosif, what's he adding on? Mosif avot. He's adding on additional avot melachot, primary categories. If you think he's adding on toladot, my mosif, what is he adding on? He's not adding on. Toladot are not adding on because there you have a vote, you have a list of avot, and toladot are subcategories. You can endlessly add toladot. That's not called mosif. That's a part of what it means to be an av, is that you have toladot under you. So when you use the term mosif, it sounds like there's an addition of a vote, of more primary milachot. So it my nami, Rabbi Rav Yosef, Tamrei Tavayu, lo chiev Rabbi Yehuda, ela achat. Rabbi Yehuda was only mechayev one, which is the conclusion we came to here. Amalei Ravina, the Ravashi, ulmai de salikadatin, that what we thought up front, miikara de mechayev ay Rabbi Yehuda shtayim, the Rabbi Yehuda is mechayev shtayim, ilohocha kebaila, lahacha lo kebaila, ilohocha kebaila, lahacha lo kebaila. says, I don't understand. In the first place, when we thought Rabbi Yehuda was mechayev shtayim, how did that work? He throws it from the Rishut Yachid into the Rishut Rabim, and then it moves for Amot in the Rishut Rabim. So where does he want the object to land? If he wants the object to land where he threw it, and it lands in the Rishut Rabim, then he should be chayav ben, and when it rolls another for Amot, it moves another for Amot in the Rishut Rabim, he should be patur, because that's not what he wanted to happen to the object. On the other hand, if 
you want the object to get to where it rolled to, then he should be chayav for moving it for Amot and Rishut Rabim, but not for throwing or moving it from Rishut Yachid to Rishut Rabim. Because when it landed in Rishut Rabim, it wasn't where he wanted it to land. He wanted it to continue on. So he can only have accomplished his thought or his intent in one of the two options. So how could you ever say that Rabbi Yehuda believes you're chayav shtayim when you move an object from Rishut Yachid to Rishut Rabim and then it moves in Rishut Rabim? Either when the object landed or when it came to a standstill, one of those two places is where he wanted it. And he only have his intent carried out in one of those two options. He can't have his intent carried out in both options. says, wherever it goes, that's where I want it. So in that case, he's indifferent between the two locations. And so he will be culpable because both where it landed is considered to be hotza'ah because he was comfortable with that. And as well, the fact that it moved for Amot and Rishud Rabim, he's also comfortable with that because he doesn't mind where it lands. Since he doesn't mind where it lands, he can be culpable or held culpable for both locations. Shita, it's Kavin Nizrok Shmona, Bizarak Arba. If he intended to throw eight amot, and he ended up going four amot, Hare Katav Shem Mishimon. It's as if he did the Malacha. When you write, you intend to write the name Shimon, and you only get through Shem. You get through Shin Mem, which is also a name, and it's two otiot. There you're chayav, because you wrote with the intention of writing a bigger word, but once you reached the second letter and you stopped, you wrote a word as well. Therefore you're chayav when you write Shem Mishimon. It's Kavin Nizrok Arba Vizarak Shmona. On the other hand, if you intended to throw it for Amot, and it ends up going eight Amot, Mao, what's the din there? Mi Aminan Ha'afikle. Do we say that he intended for it to go out, and it went out? Or do we say, no, he wanted to land at the four Amot point, and that didn't happen. Isn't this what Ravina said to Ravashi? So we just said in our Gemara, that wherever it lands, I'm comfortable with. So that's number one. So that's how we answer the problem. If he says, wherever I'm comfortable with, then of course, his machshava is carried out, his intent is carried out. But what you said before, I don't think you're right about that. In order to write Shimon, you must write shame. You can't get to Shimon without writing shame. But you have to say here, if he didn't throw it for Amot, he can't get to 8 Amot. You don't have to throw it for Amot to get to 8 Amot. Now, the truth is, it has to pass through four Amot to get to 8 Amot. But what it means is, when you throw an object, it doesn't have to land at the four Amot point in order for it to get to the 8 Amot point. It can be the one motion that goes from the beginning to the end of the 8 Amot. You don't have to pass through, quote-unquote, four Amot. You don't have to have it land at the four Amot point, bounce, and then go to the eight Amot point. You can have it go straight from zero to eight. If that's the case. It's not similar to the case of Shem Mishimon. By Shem Mishimon, the only way to get to Shimon is to write Shem. And therefore, that's why it's considered to be the Malacha on the way. So it says, I think your comparison is incorrect. And you cannot automatically assume if he intended for eight and he threw four that you are Chayav. The only way if he intended to throw eight and he threw four that he's Chayav is in the same case, the so same scenario, where if he intended to throw four and he threw eight, that he's chayav. And that's when he says, I don't care where it lands. I'm indifferent to where it lands. In those cases, then his makshav is carried out because he's indifferent to where it lands. But if he has particular intent for where it lands, and it changes, and it doesn't land there, it goes to the other place, in both those cases, it's going to be patur because they are not components of the same malacha. It's two different malachot. One is to throw it four amot, one is to throw it eight amot. And they're totally separate from each other. That's what I was differentiating. You're right. You have to pass over four amot to get to eight amot, but you don't have to land at four amot points. I mean, that in order to move it four amot, that means you picked it up or you threw it from zero to four, and then from four to eight. That's not what happens. You could throw it one from zero to eight straight without it ever stopping at the four amot point. And that's the Gemara's differentiation over here. Shame me, Shimon. You can't get to Shimon without writing shame. You have to have the two letters. Assuming that you're moving in the... Normal right-to-left direction, right? You have to pass through shame. There's a better question here, which we'll get to later in the Sechta, which is, you write shame Shimon, Shimon is with a mem shuta, and shame is with a mem stuma. So there is a difference between them, and it's not so simple. 
So now we have to deal with later on in the Mesech, when the Gemara deals with it. The Gemara has a number of these, and it doesn't seem to differentiate between the Stuma and the Pshuta. So we'll deal with that later in the Mesech. So that is a problem here with Shem and Shimon. But on the other hand, you have to write Shin Mem to get to Shimon. You don't have to throw four Amot. You're right. You have to pass through the four Amot point to get there, but it doesn't have to stop the four Amot point to get there. So that's why there's a differentiation between these two different cases. You throw from a public domain to a public domain, and you have a shooter yachid in the middle. If you move it for a mot, you are chayav. If it's less than for a mot, you are patur. So my kamashlan, what's going on right here? Akamashlan de rishiot mitstarfot. It says you had a public domain on one side and a public domain on the other side. Therefore, we can add together the movement that you had in those two public domains. And you could say that he moved it for Amot. If you add them together and you get for Amot, you're going to be Chayav. If you mavir with the Rabim for Amot. Udulo Amrinan. And the second thing that's obvious from here is we don't say, Utag Mashahuncha. That we don't say that an object in motion is considered to be moving through discrete points, because otherwise you'd also be Chayav for Hotza'a and Hachnasa. Because you're passing through a Rishuta Yachid and Nemtza. The fact that this Brighta says, number one, we don't care about the Rishuta Yachid here, shows you that they think that the object that moved from one Rishuta Rabim to other Rishuta Rabim is not stopped in the Rishuta Yachid. Which means they see an object in motion as a continuum, not as discrete points. Number two is that they're willing to add together the two Rishut Rabims. Rishut Rabim from where you threw it, and the Rishut Rabim where it lands. You add those together to get to the four Amot. And we see from that that you can have two separate Rishiyot add together to come up with the Dalit Amot. Okay, we'll stop over here.